welcome to Relay Chain, a podcast produced by Parity Technologies, where we discuss all things substrates, polka dots, and Web3. Today on Relay Chain, we have Christine Perry from Scale Network. Welcome, Christine. Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Joe. And um, as you mentioned, my name is Christine Perry, and I lead solution engineering at Scale Labs. So what that basically means is I maintain the customer journey throughout the pre and post implementation. So when developers are building a DAP and they're deciding whether or not they want to use a scalability solution, we kind of talk to them about their needs for that and then help them build partnerships and integrations throughout their integration with us. Um, so that's what I do at Scale Labs. Okay, great. So we're going to get into like a little bit of those teams, but like as a general overview, like what is Scale Network? Yeah. So great question. Scale Network um, is a decentralized uh, proof of stake network that's meant to be layer two. And the idea is that we don't want to be a theorem killer. Instead, we want to augment it by helping it by speeding up transactions that don't necessarily belong on Ethereum. And so you can think of it as sort of just like um, AWS for blockchain, where instead of having one blockchain to be able to process transactions, you can use an elastic sidechain to be able to run transactions actually they need to run faster or manage tokens be able to save costs and we can get into more of that later um, if we want to do a deeper dive into those concepts too yeah sure but starting like from a higher level like you've talked to a lot of teams who are building applications on blockchains yeah. and like what were some of the problems that they ran into or like difficulties so there are two major problems that um, app developers come to us with. The first one is going to be transaction speed, and the second one is going to be transaction costs. Um, file storage and managing tokens come secondary, but to tackle the first two, that was sort of the first mission that Scale Labs um, decided to kind of take on to solve for Ethereum. And um, when app developers have these issues, they've already reached the friction point of, I want to be able to use um, Ethereum, however, I can't seem to make it work like a traditional web 2.0 application today. Instead, you feel a lot of friction for the end users. And what they're trying to solve for there is being able to run their transactions um, faster and also decreasing the cost. On a layer two elastic sidechain, we actually remove the idea of cost. And so for the end users, they don't see a cost, but for the DAP developer, it's paid for upfront by a sort of like a subscription model. So you decide whether or not you want a small chain, medium chain, or large chain, and you only pay for what you need at that specific time. And then that you're like paying on Ethereum. So you're paying on Ethereum. That's correct. So you can think of scale as being a DAP kind of attached to Ethereum. And so in that essence, yes, you're able to stake on Ethereum with a scale token that spins up your scale chain. And once you um, stake for that scale chain for, let's say, six months or one year, you're then able to process your transactions in that environment in a, a faster way and also decrease the costs. So by that, I mean, um, what's really useful for uh, DAP developers is that they don't have to learn any new languages. Instead, scale is supposed to be um, extremely compatible with Ethereum. So the same transactions, the way you can run them on Ethereum, you can run them on scale as well. So, so you, are you like um, exposing the same kind of interface of like a smart contract environment mm -hmm. and that will eventually make its way to the Ethereum chain? 
Um, in a way. So what we do is we fork the Alice C++ version of the Ethereum EVM. And by doing that, we've enabled developers to be able to run their smart contracts written in Solidity um, directly on scale. So when you've reached that friction point of, hey, transactions are slow, or hey, the cost is super high, you can automatically just get it endpoint with scale and deploy your smart contracts as is directly to scale. So in that way, it's exactly like running transactions on Ethereum. Now, when we're managing tokens, that's where we don't actually transfer any tokens out of Ethereum. We kind of use Ethereum like a bank. So the tokens stay there and sort of like a deposit box, and you're able to work with clones in the scale chain side to speed things up, which has a direct mapping to what's going on in Ethereum as well. Yeah, so, so you're kind of creating this like side environments where people can execute without any kind of costs. And then like, how do you take care of the speed thing? I mean, the cost is getting mm -hmm. settled later, right? Yeah. So... So taking care of the speed thing, the way that we were able to do that is um, we took a look at so many different consensus um, methodologies that were out there and decided to kind of create our own. So our proof of stake consensus protocol um, works in sub-second time. Now, a lot of what goes into it is basically because we decided to run the consensus in this asynchronous way. So every time a transaction is received, you can think of it as like multi-threading to where we're not going to delay the transaction of one before receiving the other. Now, in doing that, we are able to um, speed the transactions up. What happens there, though, is to really speed it up, it comes down to the validation part where we're doing using BLS signatures to quickly um, be able to sign a transaction across the different nodes within a network before it's finalized on the blockchain. And again, that happens in less than a second, and you can process about 2,000 transactions per second currently with a large chain. Okay, I, I do want to talk about like the consensus stuff mm -hmm. a little bit more later, but like yeah. before we get to that, I'm just wondering, like, what were the problems that led you to decide that, like, layer two was the solution to a lot of these issues and, like, that mm -hmm. um, trying to change layer one or implement it in some other way wasn't the solution? Yeah. Um, so... If I could tell a story, um, I came to the blockchain space because I initially wanted to set out to build my own dApp. Um, I love travel and I want to combine travel application with the blockchain. And just like other developers that are already in the space, I quickly came across the issue of it's really slow and it costs a lot to run anything. Yeah, so you were the first <laughs> user almost, <laughs> or the first person who needed it. Yeah. So for me, I was the first person that kind of needed to understand that maybe instead of building a dApp, it was time to actually figure out how to um, join the cause of um, building um, infrastructure to help the blockchain environment. And that's when I got introduced to Jack O'Halloran, the CEO of Scale Labs, who um, explained to me the need for being able to empower developers and enable them to um, build dApps that are run faster and um, don't incur that qu quite as much of a cost. Yeah. And did you try to make this travel app? On Ethereum? I did. Um, so it was the first app I made through the Consensus Academy program for developers. Um, I took that course, um, built a, a small dApp, quickly ran into the problems, and almost walked away and went back to just marketing tech and SaaS. But after talking to Jack, I decided to um, you know, abandon the dApp for now um, and then continue along the, um, the lines of helping out infrastructure. Yeah. So are you working in like a different software company before this? 
Yeah. Um, so my background, um, to take it further back, I used to build software for the Department of Defense, and it was um, full stack development. And then I quickly transferred over to more customer facing roles, think product innovation, solution engineering, um, solution architecture. And that led me into the marketing tech space for about eight years. There, I worked for companies um, being at Oracle, Optimizely, Mixpanel, um, to name a few. And that's where, um, you know, I felt I kind of got stuck and the type of tech wasn't necessarily changing and we were more building tech to just make more rich companies richer yes <laughs> so. i've been there <laughs> as well yeah so like how do you think that like layer two stuff or layer two solutions can play a role in uh, helping like applications or blockchains operate within each with each other so I think layer two um, plays a role in that it acts as a really nice bridge that sits on top of the layer one solutions. There are quite a few layer one solutions out there already, but the one that seems to be gaining the most traction with developers is Ethereum. And due to that, um, you know, layer twos that integrate with Ethereum from the beginning are going to be able to help that developers that are facing the challenges that they're seeing today. Again, talking about the speed and the cost. Now, when you think about Ethereum, because every DAP is deploying to Ethereum, as you can imagine, it creates um, higher costs. It also creates lower times. And so because of that, there's stuff that is being put on Ethereum that could be offloaded onto a layer two. So again, in the, the spirit of not wanting to be an Ethereum killer, we still want developers to be able to deploy, let's say, ERC-20 tokens, ERC-721 tokens directly to Ethereum, because you can think of it as like the bank. But for transactions that are maybe are more social in nature or the game logic within a game, that's something that could be automatically taken over by a layer two solution. There are tons of layer two solutions out there where you would be able to um, implement them, run them alongside of Ethereum um, to be able to speed up your game in that way. The benefit of this is that with layer two, because Web3 has made it so easy to be able to connect to these blockchains, you can think of it as just having multiple resources to get the job done. So one Web3 connector goes to Ethereum in the mainnet where you're able to maintain the parts of your application that need to be there. And the other Web3 connector can go to that layer two solution such as scale for running transactions that you need to run a lot faster, at least to make um, your application appear more like a Web2.0 application today. Yeah. And so like, as you mentioned gaming a couple of times, yeah. but what do you think are some of the best verticals for blockchain in general? Uh, so... It really surprised me. When I initially um, started the initiative of working at scale, I thought that the main use cases would be in DeFi or gaming, and I was wrong. So uh, yes, about 50% of the applications that I talk to today fall within those buckets, but I find that I end up talking to verticals, um, well, dApps are building within verticals such as real estate, agriculture, social impact. Um, let's see marketing tech as well, trying to create Salesforce on the blockchain or create A-B testing on the blockchain. There's a lot of different um, companies out there that are trying to disrupt their respective spaces. And I find it really encouraging for others looking to get into the space, but don't quite know how. Pick an idea and run with it. Yes, yeah, so like what was the thing that changed your mind on that? Mm. Um, the one that changed my mind on which part? Uh, on like that uh, gaming and DeFi would not actually be the main use cases. Um, actually talking to them. So <laughs> at Scale Labs, at Solutions Engineering, um, my role is to be able to go out, um, meet the developers that are building in so many different um, verticals and understand their problems. So think of it more as just like 
I'm data gathering. But as I'm data gathering, we're trying to figure out whether or not there is a way that a layer two solution can help their specific vertical. And so throughout this effort, what we've been able to do is aggregate just quite a few dApps that go beyond gaming and DeFi. And that's what changed my mind about that is not just gaming and DeFi out there that's looking to build on blockchain and also scale on blockchain too. So yeah, I'm like I'm interested in the the use case question just because at Parity, like yeah. we're so we're so focused on abstraction and like really low level stuff mm -hmm. that like the end use cases is like really far away from the work that we do because it's more in like networking and stuff. And yeah. so I'm always like interested in like what applications that you see being developed and um, mm -hmm. maybe like the surprising ones, like not the obvious like DeFi type stuff. Absolutely. So some of the surprising ones, well, before that, I want to start with, uh, you know, the approach that we're taking as well, because um, as you mentioned, you know, we are building heavy infrastructure, so it is more like on a network layer, but when the person that's going to use it, it's an end user. And so we need to take um, them into consideration um, and then work our way backwards. And so with the end user for someone, let's say that they're looking for um, using a music app that's like SoundCloud on blockchain. Essentially, the end user just wants to be able to play their music in a fast way. They don't want to be necessarily uh, hindered by having to think about the fact that it's running on blockchain. Instead, that should be something that's kind of like hitting in the background. Like you don't go to Facebook or Amazon today and say, hmm, I wonder what their infrastructure is. Are they on blockchain? Right. <laughs> you just use the app. And so that's where we're kind of um, seeing the direction of dApps wanting to take their applications to. Wanting to start with the end user, making sure that it's easy enough for them, and then building up from there. So some of the interesting use cases that I ended up coming across were, um, to pick on the one that I just mentioned, is um, Audius. Um, Audius, they are used, um, building like a SoundCloud for blockchain, where essentially you're able to play music from a provider or an artist that you love, and you're able to um, donate or be able to pay them directly, instead of having the other way around where you're paying a service that's just playing their music like Spotify or Pandora today. Or a record label. Or a record label. Like 20 years ago. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's a really interesting use case. Um, sports betting is also one that's really interesting um, one out there because sports betting is something where it just makes sense to be on blockchain. That's a DeFi application. Another application that I recently heard of was in agriculture. There's a DAP developer that is blending together satellite imagery and blockchain to be able to bring insurance to small town farmers. Um, the pilot, if I remember correctly, was kickstarted in Niger and apparently it was already successful. She was part of one of the consensus um, innovator programs. And it seems like when it, it's one of those projects that's really taking off. I think I've heard of this one, yeah. actually. But yeah, I used to work like on satellites. So I always kind of have like a, I'm always looking around for like blockchain and satellites type mm -hmm. stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. And it also kind of goes to like, like the Oracle problem of mm -hmm. like, how do we deal with some of this data, like in, in insurance and imagery that's like a, a perfect case of how do you determine what's a good image right right um, do you want more use cases? Go ahead. Okay. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> um, other use cases that I heard of, um, there's an app out there called Volo, uh, which is really exciting too. It's one of those applications where, um, think of uh, marketing, where you go and you buy, um, let's say, a coat because we're in Denver on a website. Typically, you'll search for a coupon code, you enter it in, you get your discount, that's it. 
What this application is doing is using the power of blockchain and a very common, um, you know, model within marketing tech with this, which is sort of like a referral code. You get a referral code. And if you use that or give it to someone, they get that 15% discount, but you and them both get paid off from that discount instead of just going straight to both of the companies that's having that discount run, um, which is a really interesting use case because it's already tying into something that's really common in marketing tech, um, but putting it on blockchain. Yeah, so let's go from like high level down to a low level now yeah. and back to consensus. <laughs> uh, like I want to ask you about that. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me that like as a layer two network, you have a consensus algorithm at all and like validators because normally we think of like, well, if you're layer two, then the actual like finalization belongs to layer one. Yeah. So what are you doing with consensus? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so to start high level and drill down, Scale Network is a proof of stake um, blockchain. So essentially, um, proof of stake means that each node within the network is going to have to stake a certain amount to be able to validate um, on your specific scale chain. Now, what we do is we group together 16 of, let's say, a thousand nodes that will run a scale chain. Each scale chain is independent. So each app, they're not going to share a scale chain. They're going to get their own one. Ever so frequently, we're going to be swapping out one of those 16 nodes to prevent collusion. Now, the consensus protocol that um, happens is with each 16 nodes, it works based off of BFT, Byzantine Fault Tolerance. So there's a quick question. Like, yeah. does, does each scale chain need to recruit its own validators or are there just like generic scale validators who can kind of like arbitrarily jump around from chain to chain without any kind of configuration setting? Great question. Um, so they don't get to choose who their validators are going to be, and we don't choose it either. It's randomized. Okay, and the val so the validators don't choose the chain that they're validating either. Exactly. Um, we also um, put in other safety measures to prevent um, collusion or uh, making it a game theory, um, where you're able to guess which DAP you're going to serve based off of which DAP just joined, and you're just joining as a new validator. We leave each validator at less than 80% capacity, meaning they can accept another, um, another DAP to run on it. So the way that we break up our scale chains is that each node can run up to 128 small chains. And we do that because we want to make sure that DAP developers don't feel as if they're paying for more than they actually need. If you're just building your application, you might not need 2,000 transactions per second, you'll just need 20. But that, again, that 20 transactions per second is not shared with any other DAP, it's just shared with yours. Right. <laughs> so it's actually quite a lot. But um, for the selection process, that actually um, originates from our scale manager, which is deployed as a smart contract to Ethereum. So from the scale manager, we're using randomization to determine which group of 16 validators is going to be selected for the scale chain at that specific moment. And then we start the randomization and rotation process for that node, for oh, that scale chain. Like how often does that take place? So. We, that is configurable. At launch, we are planning on doing that maybe once a month or once every other week, um, but it's going to be configurable depending on the needs of the specific scale chain. Yeah. So. And then like when you started designing this consensus mechanism, like yeah. how did you arrive at this model? Mm -hmm. Like what, what other options did you consider? Uh, good question. Um, so I will say that, um, you know, Stan Klotko, um, he spent a lot of time just evaluating all of the different algorithms and uh, math out there. And one of the things he was really adamant about was not creating new math, but using something that's existing and, existing and has been proven already. Um, and what he arrived at was um, using BLS signatures and rollups to be able to create our consensus to run in a very fast way. Now, by that, I mean, when you get to the part where each node is signing a transaction to be able 
able to add that block to um, the blockchain or the sidechain, essentially what they're doing is they're passing around their signatures that's being aggregated and creating a new supermajority signature that's able to be validated at the very end. So all of that, we have a lot of great writing on it um, on Medium. If you if you want to read up more about how we're using BLS signatures or um, rollups. Yeah, so you need to aggregate like 11 of these 16 mm -hmm. in order to have consensus on some block. And then, so you're providing some sort of like finalization guarantee on layer two, and then this will eventually settle on Ethereum, like on the main chain? So it doesn't actually settle on the main chain. This settles on the individual scale chain. So the scale chain is going to have its own set of block blocks that's being created alongside Ethereum. Now, where it will settle on the main chain is if you're managing a token. Because a token, um, one of the things I mentioned earlier is that we don't actually move the token off of Ethereum. It stays there. Instead, we're working with clones. So when you are finally exiting on that token and needs to go back to the main user, we burn it on the scale chain side and the token is released on Ethereum. So at that part, we are actually saving the state of what just happened back to Ethereum. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then like looking a bit longer term, like I know you're launching on Ethereum soon. It says in your white paper that you're a protocol agnostic. Yeah. And like what how do you envision um like scale growing into mm -hmm. working on multiple networks? Good question. So I'd say right now, one of the things that we're really working on is a lot of partnerships with um, blockchain companies that are um, not just layer one. So API-based wallets um, is a direct need for DApp developers. Because when you think about the nature of a sidechain, it is meant to kind of be hidden and not necessarily interacted with other than the DApp developer kind of coding it in. Um, and so API-based wallets allow us to accomplish this because it gives DApp developers the tools to be able to switch networks in the backend to automatically go from Ethereum to scale and back again without the user even noticing. So a lot of you know our trajectory around partnerships is building as many partnerships as we can with companies that um, are also looking to help empower the Ethereum space so that way we can empower DAP developers together. Now, because we built our system in a modular way, the idea is that yes, um, eventually developers, they may decide they want to move from Ethereum to another layer one solution and back again. And being a layer two solution where you are kind of that bridge, it does make it possible to be able to do that in the future. So everything was built in a modular way to where we can swap out everything. You can swap out the EVM, you could potentially swap out the consensus protocol that's being used, you can decide whether or not using BLS signatures, you can swap out Ethereum. Um, all of that in the future we will be able to swap out and be able to empower developers to go wherever they like. Yeah, and do you see that as being like one scale network that's like operating on top of you know Ethereum and other protocols, or do you see that like each protocol would have its own scale network? I'd say one. Yeah, I'd say one. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be really great. Just to like kind of wrap up, like you guys are launching soon. What does yes. 2020 look like for you guys? Uh, 2020 looks like amazing, beautiful chaos. <laughs> <laughs> one, because um, as you know, many in the space have seen many network launch before, we're about to go through that journey um, really, really soon. So part of that journey means that we want to make sure that adapt developers we're currently working with today are able to use the mainnet from day one. Um, beyond there, we also want to make sure that we're constantly innovating within Scale Labs and for the Scale Network. And to do that, um, we already kind of have the roadmap of other 
features we want to add in. One of the top ones is machine learning. Machine learning is another one of those products where it's really hard to be able to run something as computational heavy as um, machine learning on Ethereum. Yeah, I want to know <laughs> now, like, how are you doing machine learning on blockchain? <laughs> yeah, so um, it started as um, an interesting, fun um, side project um, for Scale Labs. As where, most things do. As most things do. And so with machine learning, we enabled DAP developers to be able to deploy or um, upload trained um, models to be able to do things like price prediction, filter images, or um, maybe do word filtering directly on their blockchain, on their scale chain. And with that, what it means is that everything is saved directly to their scale chain. Their trained model is saved there. Um, and out of that came file storage, which means that you can also save any file there. You can save HTML, you can save JavaScript, you can save any images. Essentially, you can make your entire application decentralized by just uploading your web app to scale. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. I'm interested to see machine learning on blockchain. <laughs> yeah, um, it's been fun to play with. I will say that um, right now, V1 is you upload your train model, and then you're able to run your predictions from there. So let's say that you upload a train model to be able to filter out a cat or a dog. <laughs> You'd be able to upload that train model, interact with it directly using this, you know, the scale chain. And from there, you're able to filter out the things that you want or do not want saved directly to your scale chain. So in a way, it's a way of you being able to add a little bit of um, filtering to um, the content that's stored on your blockchain so that way it doesn't get boggled down. Yeah, well, I think I did the end out of order because we talked about the very far future of like multiple yeah. networks and then we went back to 2020. Yeah, um, no worries. But like, where should people go to follow scale? Or yourself, if you want to show yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if you're looking to follow Scale, um, you can visit our website at scale.network. And if you're looking to follow us on Twitter, um, look for us at Scale Network. And if you're looking to follow me, it's Christine RPM. All right, great. Thank you, Christine. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thanks for listening to Relay Chain. We'd love to keep in touch. Follow us on Twitter at Relay Chain or email podcast at parity.io. Our team at Parity includes some of the leading peer-to-peer -peer networking developers, consensus algorithm inventors, blockchain innovators, and Rust developers. If you want to learn more about our work or want to work with us, visit our website at parity.io and sign up for our newsletter at parity.io newsletter.